podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching the fourth part of our Advent sermon series, and the sermon title is Shalom Beyond Understanding. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Now, also, peace on earth is a common phrase. That it's, it's used, it's said among Christians, amongst non-believers. All, we want peace on earth. Prayer is prayed for peace on earth. It's, it's, it's common to say, and it's often used to express the longing for what? For wars to end, for chaos globally to come to an end, for there to not be friction and conflict between nations and peoples. And so when we pray for world peace, that's often what is being thought about. But it, honestly, the word for shalom is much deeper than that. So, like I said, we're going to do a quick survey of the word through the Old Testament, and the first place it is used is in Genesis, which is not surprising, but it's used in an interesting context. It's used while God is making his covenant with Abraham. And if you sort of glance, I'll have all of these on the screen. Uh, Some of these will be easier to flip to quickly, but Genesis 15, 15, it's just one verse after telling Abram, he said his name was still Abram at the time. God had not yet given him the name Abraham. But he's telling him that his descendants will spend 400 years in the captivity of Egypt. And he's prophesying of this thing that would happen to God's people. And he turns to Abram and he says in Genesis 15, 15, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. That's the word shalom. It's the first place in the Bible it's used. I do think it's an interesting study always to go to the first place a word is mentioned. Sometimes it doesn't make obvious sense to us, but this is interesting, that the first time we see the word shalom in the Bible is in the context of of the death of one of God's people. He says to him, as for you, as for you, Abram, though there's going to be destruction against Egypt, there's going to be uh, a captivity for 400 years, you will go to your fathers in peace. You will go to your fathers in shalom, meaning those who have died before you, and you shall be buried in a good old age. So it's in this context of the death of one of God's people. And he says to him, after this prophecy, this great peace will be upon him. So even in death, I mean, the Bible does teach this, one can be at peace. In death, one can be at shalom, have shalom. So moving on from there, from that place, and there's hundreds of other places. So if you do a word study on shalom, you'll find many. So I had to pick a few to sort of help us track through until we get to the New Testament. But moving from there, the word shalom is used in all sorts of ways. It's a greeting. It's a farewell. Something that we've seen, I'm sure, in Scripture. We don't use it very much in our culture, but a genuine shalom to someone as they come or go was, was common in the Hebrew culture. Peace unto you. You've, certain, you've seen people. We know people even use this today in certain cultures. In fact, I wish we lived in a culture like that. Right? Peace be unto you and, and unto you. We don't, I've never been greeted that way in Bath. Okay? Um, it just doesn't happen very often here on the mid-coast of Maine. But there are cultures where it's, it's sort of a, uh, it's a common practice. And we see it in one place here, Exodus 4.18. This will be on the screen as well. Exodus 4.18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And that's that phrase, that go in shalom. Let there be peace upon you. In other words, 
what he's saying to him there in, in, in other places, many other places where this phrase is used, he's saying, may it be well with you. And that's a phrase that I really want you guys to think about. Um, my technology is working and Josh is delivering it to me. I, what is this? I don't even know what this stuff is called. It's ancient. Thanks, Josh. I feel more at peace now. <laughs> Shalom unto me and to you, Josh. Thank you. <laughs> so he says, in other words, he, when he says shalom or peace unto you, he says, may it be well with you. And, and that is something I want us to think about as we're working through this is, is it well with you? And that's an ideal of God. The idea of shalom existed in the Garden of Eden. It's hard for us to really grasp this in our culture and in, in, in the sin nature and in the world full of sin. But there was a time where the ideal of God, what God intended, what God had desired for his people existed in reality on this earth. And it was with Adam and Eve in the garden. There was peace, true peace, ultimately. And there is a day coming where that will happen for us as well. And so typical with Advent, we look back and we look at the longing of Israel. We look at the foreshadowing and the things that would come and the longing in their heart for peace. And then we take that and we look forward and we say, well, there's, there's, a, there's a peace that's coming that's even greater than anything we can experience here on this earth. And it is coming. So we see that shalom is more than just the absence of something, but the presence of something good. So we don't want to think of peace as just like getting rid of chaos, but we also want to have peace as something that is present among us, something that we actually, it, it's, it's something that is good that we get, that we have. And as Christians, we should truly come to desire one another's well-being, a true peace amongst each other. Another, for instance, in Genesis, Genesis 29, verses 5 to 6, you're already, already in Genesis or close to it, so flip over to there. And if you've, if you've read the Bible and you're familiar with these stories, you would already be familiar with the context but Jacob had been sent to Laban. Jacob had not yet been married, and he sent to Laban, and he met some of the sheep herders outside of the village. And this is what Jacob says. He says to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel is his daughter. Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Now, that's just to say, like that phrase, there it is. Is it well with you? It is well. Those are, that's the word shalom. In the Hebrew. Is it well with you? It is well. Shalom, shalom. Isn't that interesting? So if I ask you, is it well with you? That's, what, that's really what the scripture is getting at. That's really what, what we should long for is that it would be well with you. Not our is everything perfect because they didn't ask that. So what, you, you really want to know, what, is, what do they mean? How does a person actually be able to say with conviction and surety, it is well with me? What was their shalom? So later on in Judges, we see the Lord himself used the phrase, this is really cool, using the word in a greeting to Gideon. If you remember the story of Gideon, Gideon is unsure of how he can defeat the massive Midianite army with such a small army of his own. But the angel of the Lord, look at Judges chapter 6 is where we see this. If you're taking notes, note all of these and read the greater context of them later on your own time. Read these stories and be familiar with them. But the angel of the Lord appeared before him and said, he said, I will be with you. And then the angel of the Lord left him and Gideon realized who it was, who was in his presence, that the angel of the Lord was there and he was in awe. And here's what the Lord says. Judges chapter six, verse 23. The Lord says, peace be to you. 
Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord. And what did he call it? The Lord is peace. So now we see something even richer here. That God himself is peace. God is shalom. We need to see this. We need to know this. If we desire peace, then we look to the God of peace. The one who has peace. And we're going to talk more about that in depth in a second here. But the Lord, he, he assured, assured Gideon that he would be with him in battle and against all odds, defeat his enemy, and he encouraged him with shalom in that context. Isn't that beautiful? So what else is there to do in that moment when the Lord shows up and he says to you, peace be to you, I'm with you. What else is there to do but to worship the God who is peace? So he builds an altar. And we see this all through the Old Testament, don't we? Something, the Lord meets with somebody and we see it immediately after. And then they built an altar to the Lord and then they name the altar. Something related to what God did. And these were memorials, and these altars were places that Israel and God's people would look back to. Do you remember when Gideon built that altar to the Lord and he named it God is Peace? Let's remember God, the God of peace, that he is a God of peace. In terms of a longing for ultimate peace, the prophets also had a, a, quite an incredible job of sort of carrying the idea into their own predictions and how they prophesied of the future Messiah, which is really what Advent is about, the longing for the peace that would come when the Messiah came. So the prophets did that as well. The peace that was promised and the peace that Israel hoped for was not always properly understood, though. So it's interesting, though, that Israel had everything they needed to be prepared for this, but they didn't see it when he came. We've mentioned before here that the prophecies of peace on earth, when there would be no more sin, there would be no more groaning or war or tears, they were often confused by Old Testament saints with the events of the first advent of the Messiah and the mission of Christ. They believed that if the Messiah was on earth, that these immediate physical peace things would be seen and felt. So they expected that if the Messiah was on earth, then surely chaos would be gone and there would be no more wars And there wouldn't be trouble for his people anymore. Which is why Christ's life and ministry were not received or respected by the religious leaders of his day. See, Jesus didn't come and bring peace then the way they expected. He led a humble life of service and sacrifice. They missed it. But we know, we read through the Old Testament, we see they prophesied very clearly who the Messiah would be. And that his mission was to suffer and die. They expected a liberator who would conquer their enemies like David did. See, they in their history see David, and they see Saul, they see Gideon, they see all these armies and the conquering warriors of God. And they expected, well, how would the Messiah be anything less than that? Well, he was actually far greater than that, but his mission at his first advent was far different. So let's look at how the prophet Isaiah, look at Isaiah 9-6, a very well-known Christmas passage used, but we're going to look at it again in the context of peace. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, see how the prophet Isaiah talked of this shalom. In Isaiah 9-6, he says, For to us a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the government, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So now we know that the plan of God is that there would be a person of peace. Because as the prophets begin to talk about peace and the peace that would come, they link it to a person. God himself would be peace and spoke to Israel in the past of his peace. And then the prophets would speak of a coming peace that would be connected to a person, a ruler, a governor, a prince and a ruler who would govern. And that government would bring an increase of peace beautiful thing to long for. A governor whose ruler would bring an increase of true peace, of shalom. How would he do this, and what kind of peace are we talking about? That's the most important thing. So later, Isaiah, the same exact prophet, says this in Isaiah 53. So flip over to the end of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6. Listen to these beautiful words. Surely he, again, a person, the prophet's talking about a he, a person, would, he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? That's shalom. See how he's connecting it to not only a person, but to what he would do through his chastisement. Through his punishment, shalom would come. And with his wounds we are healed, and all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So there would come a man, a person of peace, a prince, who would be smitten and afflicted by God, pierced and crushed and chastised in order to bring peace and healing to the world. But a specific kind of peace and healing. So let's move forward a bunch. We're going to flash forward to Luke chapter 2. I want to show you something here that's also very familiar. We've sung about it and we've talked about it already through this season. But look at it again in this context. Luke chapter 2. Spend the rest of our time in the New Testament. Luke 2, 14. We see the announcement of the birth of Christ from the angel Gabriel. And shortly after, he tells the shepherds, it's as if the hosts of heaven cannot help but burst into our realm, which is mind-boggling in and of itself. They suddenly appeared, a host of angels, and they sang this song, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. They could have said anything. These are the words that the host of the angels who have spent eternity in the presence of God chose that when they burst into our realm, This is what they sang. It's pretty significant, wouldn't you say? We have a hard time picking songs here. What songs are we going to play? What are we going to sing? The angels are like, I know what we're going to sing. This is what we're going to say, and there's going to be a host of us, and we're going to say this, and this is what they chose. Glory to God in the highest and on, on earth. Peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This song of praise, notice who it was directed to. To the highest of all beings. God most high, 
to whom belongs all glory and honor. And he had come down to bring peace. He had come down, the most high God, the most glorious. And the angels are announcing peace on earth now through this person. This is the person of peace. This is Jesus, the prince of peace that Isaiah prophesied of, the one who would suffer and be crushed and die and be smitten and afflicted and chastised. This is him. And so the question is, where is the peace? Because he came to a a, a sin-sick world with a lot of chaos. So what were they talking about when they said peace on earth? And it's not an outward peace that he came to bring, but a peace between God and man. A peace between sinful being and holy God. The God most high who is in the heavens is above all things. He came down in the person of Jesus Christ to bring peace between God and man. A peace that would allow God to be pleased with those who were once his enemies because we know what the New Testament teaches us is that before one is in Christ, one is an enemy of Christ. Is opposed to God. So how is God to be pleased with somebody on this earth? How can some God be pleased? And there's only one way that God would be pleased and is that and is that is if that person is righteous and so we know we're connecting the dots you guys who are followers of Christ you know this is a, a beautiful gospel thing that God did but this peace between God and man no longer enemies so in many ways as we think about this in terms of our life and you might be thinking, well, what about peace in my life? And you might be thinking, well, there is no peace in my home, in my life, in my job, my work, my relationships. Maybe there's, maybe there's some peace, but there's areas you can pinpoint. You can say, I lack peace here and in my heart. And there's sin here and there's broken relationships here. And it's not the ideal. It's not shalom. So you look at the outward and that's the, that's the reality. And Jesus said some things that really clear this up. And now let me just tell you, it's not easy. What we're about to talk about here in a a second is not easy, but it is true. So become accustomed as a believer, as a follower of Christ, to swallowing hard truth. Knowing that bitterness, though bitter at first, it will turn to sweet honey. That's how often God's truth works. Jesus came, in fact, to upset the false peace of this world. He does this by simply drawing some lines. Lines are good when they're lines of truth. Let's look at one area where he drew some lines. Matthew 10, turn over there, Matthew 10, verse 35 to 39. This certainly causes a little bit of confusion to the natural mind because of all that we're talking about. God desires peace. We want shalom. He came to bring peace on earth. And then Jesus, who is supposed to be this Prince of Peace, says this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 35. Do not think <laughs> I have come to bring peace on this earth. What in the world? I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Does he want peace or doesn't he? Yes and no. That's really what the Bible's answer is. Yes, he wants peace, but also where there is false peace, he wants division. Isn't that interesting? So let's talk about this. Like, this has to be clear. I don't want you just leaving here like, well, yes and no. He does and he doesn't. So let's, let's just figure this out on our own. True peace is not possible until Christ is the supreme object of our love and affection. That is where it is a definite yes. He wants peace between God and man, and there's one way for there to be peace between you and God, and that is through Jesus Christ. And the way we feel that peace on a daily basis is by actively and intentionally giving all of our love and affection to the one supreme being who is God, Jesus Christ. We give him that. And there is no peace outside of that. Please evaluate that. You have to be honest. If you were to just counsel your own heart right now, you ever do that? You ever counsel yourself? You should. If you counsel your own heart, you counsel your own family, counsel your marriage and say, where is there unrest? Where is there a lack of peace in me? Without a doubt, it's going to come down to where are your affections? Who do you give your affections to supremely? This is, in fact, why there is war of all kinds. Wars are almost always religious in nature. Isn't that amazing? Look at world wars. Look at the wars that are in, the going on right now. All over the world, they're connected to religion. They're connected to a worldview and a system and a belief system. They always are. Whether it's a national scale or just in your home. He's like, well, I don't know about the wars that are going on over there, but there's a war in my home. There's a war in my life right now. If you're a Christian and you have non-Christians in your home, where is the tension usually? It's around Christ. It's about Christ. If there's tension around Christ in your home, then what's the goal then? Okay, that's the question I want you to be able to answer. If there's... If there's... Uh, <laughs> Can I give, encourage you guys just to say something real quick that's really practical? And I'm not rebuking you. But we, if, go to the bathroom during the seven-minute break. It's like seven minutes to do everything. It, you could even take the whole seven minutes and stay in the bathroom if you want, okay? It is so helpful for everybody around you when you don't get up and leave and do stuff. Just, I just want to say that, okay? Let's get back on track now. All right. That was Lincoln, by the way. Everybody tell Lincoln that he should never do that again. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Love Lincoln. All right. What is the goal if there's tension in your home around Christ? What is the goal? Is it peace in the home for the sake of peace? Think about this. Could you create peace by compromising? You, sure, you certainly could. You could. You could, do what, you could do all kinds of things to create what we call peace in this world. That's not the right thing to do. Do you lay aside what is true in your life in order to appease? That should never be the case. 
Truth is always more important. Always. According to Jesus, the goal here in that kind of situation that he mentioned in Matthew 10 is actually division before peace. See, that's what he's saying. He's saying there is going to be division here and it's going to be around me. It's going to be around the worship of me and the allegiance of the true God. Now, he's not saying to be divisive. There's difference between something that causes division and that person being divisive. A Christian should never be divisive with your words and with hate or with actions that are unchristlike. But if you follow Christ, I just want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ, then be sold out for Christ. I love my daughter, too. I shouldn't have just singled out somebody else's daughter but, or somebody else's kid. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> I just felt like I had to say that. But listen, if you follow Christ, then be sold out for him. No matter what anyone else in your family is doing, isn't that the hardest place to give a full allegiance to Jesus when your family members aren't? That's the hardest place. They're the hardest people to confront because you love them so much and you don't want division. That's why Jesus put this here as an example. The people that you love the most cannot stand in the way of who you should love supremely. And that's Jesus. And let me just say, in case you're here, if you do not have an interest in Christ, but you see someone close to you that does when they put Christ first before you and make decisions that eat at your sinful worldly appetites, they are doing the right thing by obeying God when it means, even if it means division. And just so you hear that, you're doing the right thing by worshiping and obeying God even if it brings division. Husbands, wives, parents, teachers, every relationship, I don't care what it is. Guys, if you're in a situation right now where you're compromising truth, don't do it. Read Matthew 10. Read about it. Peace is about the heart. It's about being at peace with God. It's not about creating peace where there shouldn't be. Perhaps your family member needs to see your allegiance to Jesus more than they've ever seen it in their lives. That your worship is for him. And let God deal with the rest of it. We can't read Matthew 10 and go, well, I see that. But I don't really want that. No, he said, I have come to bring this sword. The peace of Christ is meant for the heart first. And the very fact that divisions would come as sinners turn to him is a testament to the power of God and the truth of the gospel. Isn't it amazing something so simple, like the truth of the gospel, would bring Division? Think about this. A simple message. God sending his son into the world to be light, to be the light of the world. But the world loved the darkness rather than the light. That doesn't disprove the light, right? It shows where one's allegiance lies, and therein is a division. The light came. It is true. The darkness hates the light, but the light is still there. It remains. It doesn't budge. It doesn't move. It permeates the darkness. That was the intention. A necessary division. As you follow Christ, you are light and you are permeating darkness, and darkness will hate the light. Sometimes that means the darkness will hate you. Christianity is unique in this way. You'll notice that every other religion in the world has a so-called 
toleration for those who do not believe what they believe. Isn't that interesting? You can talk to all kinds of other world religions. Well, what do you think about this? Oh, as long as they're sincere. You know, you can do what you, you know, if, if they're believing this, you know, then good for them. Hmm. Sort of a do what's good for you type of thinking. That's not better. That's weaker. Religions that say do what's good for you is not, a, is not stronger. There's no strength in that. You see what I'm saying? It's weak. It's weakness. If it were really just about achieving an absence of conflict, then Christ was crucified for nothing. The amazing thing about the Bible and Christianity is that there is a guarantee of world peace someday. There is. But it's not going to be this world. If we know the Bible, we know it's going to be another world. There will be a new earth when Christ comes again and dwells among the redeemed. He's going to create a new earth. For world peace, that's what we're looking forward to. We should not expect a totality, a holistic world peace on this earth. Ultimately, it is coming, and it's coming when Christ creates a new heavens and a new earth, and that will come. We don't know when that day or hour will be, but we do know that there is a peace, a shalom that Christ brought us at his first coming that we have been commissioned to spread until he returns again. Do you have shalom? Do you have this peace? So I'm going to give you three points. Take these notes. We're going to look at some scriptures as we make these points, and then we'll wrap up. Number one, God is the most peaceful being in the universe. Isn't that wonderful just to think about? Like, think of our lack of peace and the people who are not peacemakers. Even when you try to be a peacemaker, it's it's hard to do because we're sinful. God is at peace right now. He is at peace. Does God worry? Does God fear? Is there any lack in him? No. Isn't that amazing? God is at peace because God is God. He is God. Romans 15, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The God of peace. The New Testament talks about this plenty of places. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. The God of peace. 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Then just think about the the acts of God, the things that he does. He created in order to design beauty out of darkness and chaos. You look at Genesis 1, the Lord hovered over the face of the deep. He said, let there be light. There was darkness and then there was light. He created order. There was chaos. God is a God of peace. He is at peace and he can make peace anywhere. Jesus on earth rearranged bones and cells when he healed diseases. He created peace in people's bodies where there was chaos and disorder. Isn't that amazing to think about when he healed uh, a shriveled arm or when he healed a a man's blindness? Think of the, the changes of molecular structure. He was ordering cells to move around and reshape. God has the power to bring peace. He is the God of peace. He calms storms. You think about Jesus in the boat with the disciples. 
And they said, what manner of man is this that he speaks to the wind and the waves and it obeys? He's a God of peace. He's the God of peace because he is the God of all and he is in control of all. So may this bring peace to your soul just as you think about the God who is a God of peace. Number two, every disciple of Christ gets God's peace as a free gift. Every disciple. So if you're not a disciple of Christ, and what I mean by that is if you're not following him, if he's not your teacher, your Lord, your master, and you do not follow him, then you do not have this peace. Peace comes to the disciple of Christ, the one who is in Christ, and this is how he does it. Christ suffered and he experienced pain and he understood turmoil and troubles in life and he went over and over again to the Father. We see Jesus, his repetition and his disciplines of going to the Father. So even as a human in his human weakness, he did the right things in order to bring peace to his soul. But Jesus was at peace. He had peace as a human because he entrusted himself to the Father. Look at a couple of scriptures. 1 Peter 2, 23. And think about your life in a situation similarly. 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. A continual entrusting of yourself to the Father. Jesus did that. John 14.27, he gives us access to this peace. This very peace that he had. He says, I, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So brothers and sisters, Jesus has peace for you. And it is not like the world's peace. And the way he chose to give this to us is through the Holy Spirit, whom he sent to indwell every follower of Christ. He gives that peace to us through the Holy Spirit. So look at two texts, Romans 8, 6, and then Romans 8, 9. Flip over there. A little bit more of turning in pages. You guys are doing awesome. Thank you for, for turning to these spots. But they're also on the screen. Romans 8, 6, Romans 8, 9 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So think about where you're setting your mind. What are you putting your mind on? To set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. And then in verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, notice that relationship, the Spirit is in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You see the connection between the mind on the Spirit and the relationship with the Spirit? If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you belong to him and you have peace in him. So we start to see what, what that peace is connected to. He left us his peace by sending us his spirit in his absence. That's what he said in John 14. To believe in Christ is to receive the spirit of God within us. And so what does this assure us of according to Romans 8, 9? It assures us of who we belong to. That we belong to him. 
So to have the Spirit of Christ is to belong to him, and to belong to him is life and peace. If you don't have peace, it's connected to your belief in your belonging to him and what all of that means. Remember who you belong to. He is the God of peace. He has peace to give. He is in control. He is sovereign. He is good. It is well with God. Isn't that amazing? It's always well with God. And then finally, lastly, true peace passes human understanding. True peace, and I should have said true peace from God, biblical peace, true peace passes all human understanding. This is true regarding much of Christianity, to be honest. See, when God saves a person, it's a spiritual salvation. we We don't see immediate outward changes. What happens is a new birth in the heart. So it does take faith. It is a faith thing. You believe in God, God transforms the heart, and sanctification begins to happen. A change, a change in your life, in your affections, in your desires. Similarly, the peace on earth was not a physical peace, but an inner peace that only those who trusted and believed would experience. So when Jesus came and it said, peace on earth, he wasn't saying, I'm going to immediately change the landscape of Jerusalem. No, Jesus was crucified in that landscape. That was not peaceful, but he was the Prince of Peace And he was bringing peace and healing to all who would follow him, all who would trust him, an inner peace. The prince of peace is not everyone's prince. (laughs) Only those who believe can rest under that rule of that prince. Only those who belong to him, only those who believe. The shalom that we've been talking about, the ideal of God to be at rest in all circumstances, to be free of the anxieties and unrest of the world is found in Jesus Christ, and it won't always be explainable. So listen to this common verse that you may probably already have memorized. Philippians 4, verse 6. Please hear this. Cling to this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the same way that Israel knew the presence of God through sacrifices and through the priests that God set up to mediate and through the battles that he won, they would be aware. God cares for us. He's bringing peace by winning battles for us. See, we can have a peace that is greater than all of that. Because his presence is forever with those for whom he died and rose again. It's a forever, constant, always peace that's within us through the indwelling spirit because we believe in Christ. We've trusted him. It's it's better than the peace that Gideon had when God said, I am your peace. And he had to go and build. You don't have to build an altar. There is no altars to build. Jesus was crucified. He was at the altar. He did it all. What battles did he win? We're not... Wow, the odds are completely against us. Our sin is far too heavy for us to defeat. Satan is far too powerful for us to defeat. But Christ did it. We can have peace. So we look back at all the longing and all the foreshadowing of of the armies and Israel and how they trusted and the sacrifices that were made. They're longing for peace. Jesus accomplished it. So if we're in Christ... We have a peace that surpasses understanding. We can take all of our anxieties 
and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for what you did for me. And it does surpass understanding. And it guards our hearts and minds. Isn't that beautiful? That's because we need that. To have a, a heart and a mind that is guarded with the truth of where peace truly comes from. You need that, I'm sure. Because we forget and we try to cling to peace in other ways. We try to achieve peace in our, in our houses, in our homes, in our hearts, in our minds by doing other things where peace is has already been won for us. And, and what, what we really need is not to go find peace, but to guard our hearts and to continually believe what we've already been told. This is what's true. So we need to be active in pursuing and thinking on what is good because in doing so, we will be assured of this peace. And so just after this text in Philippians, he goes on to, in chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, he says, finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. And then he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and what? The God of peace will be with you. That's a promise. So we have the active working of God to teach us and show us what Christ has done, and then we have our actively, intentionally thinking on what is good and what Christ has done, and where those meet and where those marry together is a guarding of peace in our hearts. And that is what we need. Let me end with a story. How many of you have heard of Horatio Spafford? Cool, a few of you. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer in Chicago. Um, I believe it was in the 1800s. And um, he had sent his wife and his, his kids over to England for a vacation. It was a stressful time. The fires of Chicago, the famous Chicago fires, um, were ablaze, right? This is, what he would, this is what he would live through. And because of all that, he thought, my, my, my family needs a vacation, his one and only son had already died. I can't remember from what disease, but he had already died. And he sent his wife and four daughters over, and uh, the boat sunk. You know, and all four, all, all, all four of his daughters were, were killed. His wife survived and made it over to England and sent a letter back. And he got the letter, hearing about his daughters all dying. And so he immediately gets onto a boat, and he goes over to England and as they're over the spot where his daughter's boat sank, the, the captain said, this is the spot. This is the very spot where it went down, where the boat sunk. And Horatio Spafford was overwhelmed with God. And these are the words that, that he penned down as he thought about this spot. He said, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That is peace that Christ gives. That is peace that comes from God that nobody can understand that is outside of Christ. If you want that kind of peace, it's in Jesus Christ. 
if you know you desire that peace and you're a believer, but you struggle with, with saying it is well with me, spend, spend more time with Christ. Obey him, trust him, love him. Think on the good things that he has done. Fellowship with Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. He gives assurance, believers. He gives assurance. And there is a peace, a greater peace that is coming that we will see in a a physical sense. And we will feel it with senses and the new bodies that he gives us. A peace where there is no more chaos. But let me just tell you this. You can be at rest in the midst of trouble and struggle and trial. You can. We can. I pray that we can say, when we say to one another, is it well with you? I mean, could we really be be a culture around here where all of New City starts saying, shalom? (laughs) Probably not. We'll weird everybody out. But you know what it means now. And you know the essence of it and why, why it mattered. Peace be with you. Peace be upon you. This kind of peace. Where we know who God is, we know that he is the God of peace. I pray that we can all say and agree with this brother Horatio and say that it is well with our souls because of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week. Thank you.